0: So today's scripture reading um, is John 1 through 15. Um, so here we go. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called the and in which is surrounded by five covered col- colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids that you carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Liam. I appreciate it. So I don't know how many of you know that uh, the day starts at a different time for everybody in the house. So I just want to see like where my before 6 a.m. people are. Just show me. All right. Before 6 a.m. All right. Good. How about my uh, before 9 a.m. people? Let's see you. All right. And then, like before noon, some other ones. That's where we're going to stop. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody who gets up in the afternoon. You may have all sorts of reasons uh, for that. But this is the way that our world works. Like, we all get up at different times. But what happens when somebody wakes you up too soon? Like, what happens to your face? When somebody wakes you up too soon, what happens to the words that come out of your mouth when somebody wakes you up too soon? We all have had experiences of that, and that's what's happening in the scriptures today, that the the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who kind of had understanding of God nailed... They didn't need to learn anything else. They had it all figured out. They had it all under wrap. But they get angry with Jesus because you're not supposed to heal somebody on the Sabbath because you're not allowed to carry your mat more than half a mile on the Sabbath. So Jesus, what are you doing? I want to tell you today that Jesus and the Pharisees The Sadducees and the Essenes, the people of religious law, they're they're living in different time zones. And Jesus has come to wake up the whole world. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes believed it's not time to get up yet. Like we're still waiting for somebody else. We're waiting for a different kind of Savior. And Jesus wants to say, good morning, it's me. And there's a question in the text for all of us today, while we may want to distance ourselves from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who had God all understood, they had their list of rules, we may want to distance ourselves from them, when in actual fact, as we read the Scriptures, the group of people that many of us are the most like are not the disciples. It's not the people that Jesus comes into contact with who are really open to his teaching and they flock toward him to see if there's something that they could learn, they want to hear about this gospel message. The people that maybe were the most like in the scriptures are the people who understood God or thought they did. And it's really important to understand that Jesus is not trying to beat anybody up in the scriptures. He's not trying to embarrass the religious leaders. What we see as we read the scriptures is that Jesus' heart for the religious leaders, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes, is so massive. His heart for them is so massive that he's willing to tell them the truth even when it's difficult. And so Jesus, the scripture tells us, Is going up to Jerusalem for what the text calls the feast of the Jews and so if you know anything about Israel you know that there is different elevation in Israel and if we know we know about Jerusalem is it's got a higher elevation so when you go to Jerusalem you go up you got to go up to Jerusalem And you see this phrase pop up in the scriptures time and time again. And why is Jesus going there? Jesus is going there for the Passover. We know that in the ministry and the life of Jesus, there's like four different Passovers that we can point to that Jesus participated in as an adult in his ministry. But we know the last Passover that he participated in We know we celebrate that around Palm Sunday when he comes in on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and the crowd is chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is this word that means save us. So they're seeing him as a savior, but we're not there yet. We're still at the third Passover. So that lets us know that we're probably like a year out in this account. We're a, we're a year away from that culminating event and we know that there's this pool in Jerusalem this this pool of Bethesda and we know that it's near what's called the sheep gate which is like why does that matter well there's different gates in Jerusalem just like you have different doors in your house like hey Amazon leave it by the back door Don't leave it by the front door because I don't trust my neighbor Carl. So back door is where you wanna leave it. There are different gates in the city of Jerusalem and one of the gates that we know about is this called the sheep gate. And that's the gate that the sheep would have been brought through for sacrifice. And it's just interesting that this is the location that Jesus chooses to do something really, really incredible. You need to know in the ancient world, there's lots of people who needed healing. And so we are not so different. Like in this room today, there are emotional wounds. And there are physical wounds. Like there's healing that needs to happen. There's there's healing that we have been praying for and believing That God would someday, in some moment, by his grace and mercy and power and compassion and goodness and faithfulness, make possible in our life. But we're waiting for it. And some of us in the room today have stories of how that has actually happened. Like we have stories about a dark day, about a dark time. Like let me tell you about 1990. Let me tell you about 2004. Let me tell you about 2020, anybody in the house. Like those were dark days. That's a dark time. Like we're not so different from the people in the ancient world. Because wounds are part of what it means to be human. Like part of what it means to be alive. And often what we want to do as human beings is to instead of acting human... We want to act divine. Like somehow somebody's words aren't going to penetrate our soul. Like some kind of hard season, it's not going to knock us off balance. Like it's fine, it's no big deal. What's so interesting and what I so love about Jesus is he is fully divine. But he comes to earth to do what? to show us what it actually looks like to be human, to actually live with wounds, to live with scars, but then to rise. Because the wounds don't define Jesus. Like the wounds don't make up all of his identity. I think that's really beautiful. That wounds can teach us, but they don't get to name us. Like they can be our teacher, but they don't get to name what is true and what is untrue of us. So Jesus comes to this pool, Bethsaida, and there's this man lying there. And you to know that in the ancient world, there were these healing shrines like all over the place. Anybody need a little retail therapy ever? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. Just raise your heart hand so that nobody sees. There's all of these places that people would go to get healing. And so there's this old god, Asclepius is his name. And so there is these places that were built to the healing god Asclepius. So maybe Asclepius can help us. And, and this pool Bethsaida is one of those places. And when you, we talk about a pool, we need to talk about not this is what it looks like, the pool Bethsaida. And you're like, bro, that is not a pool. That looks like a building. Yes, exactly. The reason is in the 5th century, a wife of one of the Roman emperors decided, hey, let's build a church on top of the pool. Why? Because Mary, the mother of Jesus, her parents lived there. And so this is like Mary's hometown. So you can go there today that's called the Church of St. Anne. And it's in 1888, a bunch of archaeologists uncovered all of this. And what I love today and why I'm a little excited about is that archaeology is actually a friend to the Bible. So we shouldn't be afraid of the actual history of this place, but we should embrace it. Like yes, study it, let's dig it up, let's look at it because archeology span is a friend to the Bible. So the Pool of Bethsaida, I don't want you to think about a pool party. That's not what this is, when you think pool. It has nothing to do with it being a party. There would have been like the sights and the sounds of the ICU in this place. Like all of these people crawling around who were desperate for healing. And there's a man who's unnamed. And we just know that he's called invalid, which means that he could not walk. And we're actually told for how long he couldn't walk. 38 years. You need to know that in the ancient world, the life expectancy was about 28 years old. So if you're in the room today and you're 28 plus, which many of us are, we weren't in a good spot in the ancient world. Now the reason, you're not old if you're 20 I see some of you glaring at me with your eyes. The, the reason that life expectancy was so low in the ancient world was because so many babies died in infancy and so that kind of brings that number down but we're told for 38 years this man could not walk can you imagine having an itchy mosquito bite for 38 years can you imagine having a sunburn for 38 years can you imagine like having congestion in your chest for 38 years can you imagine having a, a sore ankle for thirty, Like, this is a really long, enduring suffering for this man. And we never get to know his name. Scripture refers to him simply as invalid. And this pool is not a place that anybody would want to go. But this is the place that Jesus shows up at. And I love that. Like Jesus shows up in a world desperate for healing and he's actually going to do something about the desperation that people have. If you're reading in a Bible and you're kind of going through, you realize something happens with verse four, like it's not in a lot of your Bibles and you're like, wait a second, I can't trust any of this. The reason for that, every verse in the Bible Is given a grade there's these different manuscripts yeah like you know this when you bake cookies some of them turn out awesome some are like you give it to the dog right like there's a scale for what you're going to present to somebody or get rid of it's the same way with these ancient manuscripts there are manuscripts that are really accurate really great manuscripts and then there are other ones that are like well That one's really old, but it's not super accurate. Verse 4 happens to be a part of some of those manuscripts that aren't as accurate as some of the other ones, and so it didn't make it in to the Scripture. It doesn't mean the Word of God is unreliable. It actually is so beautiful. It makes it more reliable because we made decisions about what's getting in and what's not getting in based on the reliability of the manuscripts. Now, I'm gonna stop there. I could tell you a whole bunch more. I'm starting to feel my nerdiness start to rise up in me. So I'm gonna say no to you. Get behind me, Satan, and we're gonna keep going. So the Bible calls him invalid, this person who couldn't walk. And we have some other people in the scriptures, don't we, who aren't named? Like we have this woman at the well. And we have this woman in, in John chapter 8 who is in living in sin. And so there she's brought before the religious leaders and they say, hey, what are you going to do with this woman? And Jesus ends up forgiving her and sending away the Pharisees. We have this man, I think it's Luke 7, who is born blind with all these unnamed people in the Scripture. And you wonder, like, okay, why is that? What's up with all of the unnamed people in the Scripture? I think what's up with that in the Scriptures is that they're a testimony that, like, the wound might have power to define. Like, you might be able to have been known as an invalid your whole life. But Jesus comes to say something about that wound because, remember, the wound can be your teacher but the wound doesn't get to name you and then we get to verse 6 and there's this man who's he's laying on this mat this is from amazon so this is not ancient world mat and you just can you just imagine like for your whole life like laying on this mat like this is your world this is your perspective Like, what would you think about yourself? What would you think about God? Like, what would you think about his promises? Like, this is where you lived. And day in and day out, the hope got up kind of fast. The hope is that you're going to get close enough to the pool... That when the the water is stirred, they believed that there would be some kind of angel, some kind of divine being that would stir the water, and then, oh, if I could just get pushed into the water somehow, I would be healed. But it's just for the first one. It's not for everybody. It's just for the first one. And so this is what this man would do day after day, moment after moment, he would go to this pool in the hopes that he would be healed. And then verse 6, Jesus says to him, hey... Do you want to get well? There's something like 183 questions in the New Testament. And Jesus' experience is that not everybody wants to get well. Jesus' experience is that not everybody wants to change. Like, can you think of some people in the scriptures, like, they just don't want to change? really, because it's going to cost them something. But then, can you think of some people in the scriptures who are excited about things being different? Like they're willing to do anything for things to be different. And I just wonder, what is the experience of Jesus with us? Like, are we people who want to change? Are we people who are willing to, change for things to be different as you look at the scriptures i would tell you that there's two different kinds of change that i see and they came so fast ah i'm losing it conceptual change so this is thinking about things differently So sometimes Jesus comes on the scene and he has a conversation with somebody and what needs to happen is they need to start thinking about things differently. They need to start thinking about themselves differently. They need to start thinking about the people around them differently. They need to start thinking about him differently. And Jesus wants to say, no, it's more beautiful than that. It's actually not about following these, all of these rules that you've set up to protect Torah, to build a fence around Torah. It's actually more beautiful than that. So I need you to start thinking of yourself in a new way. And thinking about this world in a new way. And that's true for us, I think. And some of us, honestly, in the room today just need to start thinking about things in a different way. Like, there's people in this room today, and you think horrible thoughts about yourself. You think horrible things about who you are. Things that no one actually believes that. Nobody thinks that. It's a lie that gets planted by the evil one deep in your heart, and you just come to this place where you just believe it. And I think one of the things that. Jesus wants to happen is that we start to think of things differently, conceptual change. But there's another kind of change, behavioral. This is doing things differently. And Jesus comes in the scriptures not to just get people to think differently, to think about things in a new way, but to actually live. So, like, there's this story of this guy, Zacchaeus. And he's known in the scriptures for a cheater. Somebody who would steal from people. And we see both in this moment. We see both Jesus needing him to think about things differently, to think about his role on earth differently, his job differently. But we also need him to stop stealing from people. And they go together. I think for a lot of people, what happens is we just try to do differently before we begin to think differently. And so I just wonder what Jesus' experience is of us, like how willing we are to change. And I wonder what kinds of changes we are resisting even in this place today. I don't have to name the thing that you've been resisting in your life. You can do that for yourself. And then Jesus speaks this word over the man. He says, get up. In the original language, it's this word, igere. It shows up like 143 times in the scriptures, and it's always used around resurrection. Like, hey, get up, lift yourself up. It's time for things to change, and so he does so. And then this takes us all the way to verse nine. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who's his fellow? told you to pick it up and walk. The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And I don't know, I just happen to think that Jesus chose the Sabbath on purpose. I think there was a whole lot of intention with what Jesus does in the scriptures. And I think he knows if he goes to the pool Bethsaida, and he heals somebody, it's gonna fire up the religious people. Because guess what? There are more people that need to get up than just the man who's not walked in 38 years. In some ways, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're in more trouble than this man is. They're more paralyzed than this man is. This man has a, has a physical paralysis. But the Pharisees have a soul paralysis. It's easy to see that the man who's laying by the pool is in deep trouble. It's more difficult to see that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are in deep trouble. And I think this is a regular practice of Jesus. I think he's very happy to fire people up. Not for the sake of doing it, but to fire them up so that they will what? So that they will begin to think differently. So that they will begin to act differently. And I just wonder if sometimes we lack impact because we refuse to fire up religious people. I wonder if sometimes we don't experience the impact that we could because we're sort of okay with things just kind of continuing on. And Jesus isn't okay with things just continuing on. Like He's not okay with the 613 laws that the Jewish people had written into practice. There's this document that they use called the mitzvot. And it has all of these commands that are practices that really have nothing to do with Scripture. But they have to do with, hey, this is what religious people do. It's a huge document. When was the last time you read a 613-page book? It was added more and added more and added more and added more. And I just wonder today, like, what's in our mitzvot? Like, what kind of practices have we written in It's grace. When God gives us eyes to see what's really going on, what's really true, what he's really trying to accomplish. And that's going to happen when people who are religious get a little bit fired up because, oh, no, we don't do that. You can't heal that guy because he can't walk half a mile in the same direction outside of the city on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, bro, I'm not talking about. How far you walk, I'm talking about the miracle of being able to walk. And we're not going to get into all the physiology of walking today. We could, but I'll spare you. It's a miracle that like a body can do this. And you watch like a little kid who's learning to walk and the parents just look like they're at the Super Bowl. That's amazing. I think that's a picture of this. How amazing is it that the evil one who came to steal and kill and destroy and deposit this wound in your life, Jesus is like, no, it can be your teacher, but it's not naming you. I've already named you. I've already purchased you. I've always, already made this right, and now I'm showing up to heal more than the guy who's laying by the pool hoping somebody's going to push him in with everybody else around the pool. Just think Let's just say there's a hundred people at the pool. Probably way more than that, but let's just go with that. And I've come so that all of these people and the people who are watching me Like all of the haters who are angry with me because of the grace that I'm pouring out on this earth, those people are going to get to walk too if they would begin to think differently about things and if they would begin to behave differently. And so the point today is that Jesus and the religious leaders are working in two different time zones. The religious leaders think, like, oh no, we're waiting for somebody else. We're still sleeping. (laughs) Don't you dare wake me up. And Jesus is like, no. Like, I'm the one you've been looking for, waiting for, praying for. It's time for things to change, it's time for things to be different. And Instead, what we witness is the, is the living out of maybe the most tragic statement in the entire book of John. John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not accept him. Like, they weren't ready for the living word of God that, with, that had new and different things to say. They were living in the old time zone. And they were angry with Jesus for waking them up too soon. And then at the end, Jesus and this man have this interaction. And a common interpretation is that Jesus says to him, stop sinning or it might get worse. A common interpretation of this, and I'm just not gonna get ranty, but it drives me insane. And the interpretation is well, like God punished this man. He made this man not walk because he had sin in his life. And so Jesus is being a bully. He's threatening this man, stop sinning, or it might get worse. And I don't think that's what's happening at all. I think what's happening is that the presence of Jesus in this moment is the evidence that things have gone horribly wrong. The fact that Jesus shows up at this pool is evidence that things have gone horribly wrong for God and his people and all of the people that fill the earth. And Jesus has come to do something about it. And I think Jesus once not just the man to understand, but everybody the man that is going to tell, is that it does get worse. Like not being able to walk is a huge deal, is a big deal. But what about not ever having a hope that you would walk again? Is that worse? Like you don't have a chance. Like this is the definitive thing in your life. This wound is not your teacher. This wound is your namer. Like, this is your identity. And what's different is that Jesus shows up in this moment and says, I know this is a big deal. But man, I am, I'm not burying you. I'm burying the thing that has threatened to bury you. And I think we live in a world where there's all kinds of pools. I think today we have a pool of achievement. That sometimes what happens to us is we have this wound. And we don't crawl to the pool of Bethesda, but we crawl to the pool of achievement. Like if I could just like achieve this thing, if I could achieve this status as a mom or a dad or as an employee at this company, if I could just make this happen, then, then that would heal this wound within me. And so every day starts at zero and we see how much we can achieve by the end of the day and, and the way that we feel about ourselves is directly tied to this pool. And I would say to you that when that happens, we're in the same position that this invalid was in. But that's not the only pool that we have. We also have the pool of accumulation. So, the thing that's going to heal this wound within us is if we can just collect a bunch of stuff, collect a bunch of security. It's not maybe physical things, it might be. But if we can have like this certain number in our Bank of America account, then like that's going to heal this wound. And so we just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate all of this stuff. We accumulate people's words, maybe more than we accumulate things. So those things that were said to you when you were 11 and when you were 14, like maybe something, some words that came out of the mouth of your kindergarten teacher, and we've held on. We've accumulated those things. And because we've accumulated more things, do you know that when you accumulate things, you have a propensity to accumulate more? Because you've got to do something with all the stuff you've accumulated. So because you've accumulated all of these words, it's actually a hard word to say out loud. this is harder than it looks. Then what happens is then, oh, if I can just get more stuff, it's going to kind of cancel out all of these things. So we achieve, we want to accumulate. And the last one I want to talk to you about is the pool of affirmation. So we have this wound within us and if we could just get this person to think that we are, we are something. Like if this person would affirm who I am, the decisions that I've made, what I have made possible, then that's gonna give me the healing that I need in my life to walk. And Jesus tells this man who's laying by the pool I've come to do what the pool has promised but the pool was unable to give. This is what I have come to do. So he says to him he looks at him in the eye I believe Jesus is one of those people that when he's talking to you He's talking to you. And in the original language, we have this beautiful sentence, igere, haron, ton, grabaton, su, kai, peri, Get up. Take up your mat and walk. And what I love, that last word, walk, is not that you would walk once but that you would continue walking, empowered not by and through yourself, but through him. And so I just want to ask the house, I'm going to the band up as we close, I just want to ask the house today, like is there one of those pools that you have been hanging out in? And is there an opportunity for you today, before you today, to begin to think about things differently To begin to live differently. To follow those words to Jesus. Like, get up. Before you take up your mat and before you walk, you got to get up first. And I just have a sense that for some of us, that's going to be the first thing. Is that we're going to get up. We're going to rise. There's going to be resurrection happening. Because all of these miracles point to the resurrection of Jesus. They're all getting the table ready for us to hear and see and receive that sign. But then the very last thing in this story I think is a warning to any person who would try to get in the way of anybody else getting up and walking. I think Jesus is really serious about that. That's the worst that can happen. And he's not gonna let the Pharisees get in the way. He's not gonna let those leaders get in the way. He's not gonna let this pool get in the way of the healing that he has come to provide. And I think as followers of Jesus, we have two choices. I think we can be people who who will get in the way of other people's healing or I think we can become participants in their healing. And what I'm not telling you to do is everybody you meet this week, just look at them right in the eye and say, I say to you, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I do want to ask you, like, with the words you're using and the way that you're receiving and interacting with people this week, like, is your life saying that? Are you living in light of that? Or are you living in light of well, you're really not supposed to carry your mat that far on the Sabbath? And that's the choice, because to live in that way is to still be paralyzed, and to ask the pool to do what Jesus has come to give. We pray with me, Lord Jesus. We give you thanks and praise today for this day and for the power of this story. And God, I just want to pray for the house today, the people who are in this room. And man, if they're honest, they would just say they can really identify with this man who year after year, moment after moment has just laid in this spot, hoping that it would be different hoping that by some miracle something would happen. And then they meet Jesus and Jesus changes everything for this man. I want to pray for people in the room today who know deep inside of their heart that they just need to think differently about things and about themselves. For people in the room today who know that Man, like there's some different choices that need to be part of my life and some people in the room today who know that they've gotten in the way at times of other people receiving the grace of God because they've been worried about this list of regulations and they've missed it. So God, thank you that there is enough grace in your hand to cover wherever we are today. And God, and after a a year that has pushed many of us to the brink in a whole myriad of ways, some seen, some unseen, God, we're asking for you to help us get up take up our mat, this thing that used to carry us, may we carry it, and may we walk, and may we continue to walk in your name and through your power. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more song together. So before we get out of here, I just want to just say a quick thank you. Uh, I was a year ago that I was like, Hey, see you next week. And that was a lie. Um, cause it was a long time until many of us got to see one another, face to face. And so, uh, two things. One is I want to acknowledge like how challenging this year has been for so many people personally so many people financially professionally in all of the ways but second i want to say a huge thank you to this community for how we have responded to that uh, because there would have been a lot of opportunities this year for this place to splinter uh, for the staff to splinter for the directional team to splinter and Three things, I lied again. Uh, I also know that not everybody um, has or will in the future agree with every decision um, that this church has made, uh, the decisions that I've made um, as your pastor. Um, well, that ain't gonna change. That's gonna continue on into the future, but that's also part of what it means to be family, part of what it means to be community, I think we grow together more deeply when we're tested in that way. And so thank you for not splintering because it would have been easy to do so. It would have been easy to make decisions to do that as a community. And so I wanna just say thank you. This has been really, really difficult and I'm really proud of how we have walked through these days and I think these days are going to set us up um, for days down the road. And so we are taking the long view in this. I've preached that to myself every single day for the last 364 days. We're taking the long view. We're not taking today what we would like happen today, but the long view. Um, because as we see in the scriptures, this is a long obedience in the same direction as actually quoted first by nietzsche and used by eugene peterson later that's a different sermon so as your pastor i want to say thank you to you um, for how you have remained remained in it um, with me and with the staff um, and with the team so grace and peace